From MGMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. If we make the process less painful, patients are more compliant. They're more likely to seek care. They're more likely to follow up on clinician instructions. The research is really robust that as patient experience improves, compliance improves, and then we see better health outcomes. And ultimately, it's not that we want to turn every hospital into a theme park. It's that we want people to be healthier. That's Cynthia Sharp talking about going beyond hospitality and healthcare and the lessons the industry can learn from experience design at theme parks and other attractions. We'll hear more from Cynthia later in the show, but first, a word from our sponsor. The number of complex regulations impacting healthcare practices is staggering, including everything from proper waste management and drug disposal to preserving patient privacy and data security. With over 30 years of expertise in compliance services and solutions, Stericycle is ready to help healthcare practices make compliance simple so you can focus on what matters, your patients. From reliable waste management services to 24-7 online compliance training and resources, our experts have you covered. To see how Stericycle can ensure your practice remains safe, secure, and compliant, visit Stericycle.com reliability. While almost all of our guests have strong healthcare backgrounds, today's guest, Cynthia Sharp, actually has a very different set of credentials. Cynthia's education is in molecular biology and genetics, but she quickly made the leap to a career in customer behavior and creative design. Today, Cynthia is the principal of cultural attractions and research for the ThinkWell Group, bringing guest behavior, museum, and education perspectives to her many projects. Thanks for joining us today, Cynthia. Now, you have a, a very impressive list of credits on your resume. Some of your clients include Google, Warner Brothers, and the San Diego Zoo, just to name a few. Can you tell us where your work with the ThinkWell Group has intersected with the healthcare industry? So ThinkWell Health is actually a pretty new vertical for us. And when it comes to that direct intersection with the healthcare industry and being in patient-centered roles, a lot of that experience falls more to my colleague, Dr. Stephen Moran, who you just had on the podcast recently. For me, my experience lies more in helping the general public engage with, get over their fears or trepidations about, and understand science and health information. And a lot of that work has been with our museum clients in particular. Um, Thinkwell has a fairly diverse portfolio, and uh, as principal cultural attractions and research, I've for 15 years been really heavily involved in starting and then nurturing our museum vertical. So a lot of my work has been on the how do you engage the public, but also how do you arm museum staff, how do you work with healthcare providers, how do you work with research scientists to make the information accessible and accurate to the public and really bringing that interface of healthcare and research science into contact with the public. Yeah, and you mentioned you're gonna be speaking at MGMA's annual conference. Your session is titled Beyond Hospitality, Lessons and Experience Design from Themed Entertainment. How did this come about? Um, I'm actually gonna answer that with a little bit of a story because that's what I do. I'm a storyteller. So I have a 16-year-old 
and for various reasons, he is, shall we say, accident prone. And our local children's hospital has an urgent care center down here by me, which is also their sports medicine clinic. So they see, you would anticipate that they would see a lot of teenagers with sports injuries because of all of like the after school sports and travel teams and what have you. But I noted two things whenever I took him there. Number one, he didn't fit on the patient beds because the patient beds were all designed for little kids, not thinking through, we're gonna have a bunch of teenagers in here. And number two, Walt Disney World does a better job managing my kids' food allergies than the Children's Hospital Urgent Care does. Without fail, they would bring him a snack that would kill him. Whereas at Disney World, he's not allowed to order off a menu until the chef comes out and talks to him. He's not allowed to walk down a buffet line until a chef comes out and walks the buffet line with him to make it really clear what's okay and what's not. And that moment of the verticals that Thinkwell works in, the companies that we work with, do such an amazing job at figuring this out. And there are so many lessons that healthcare can learn for that. Because we like to think of it as it's rides and it's shiny and it's pretty. Companies like Disney and Universal and Warner Brothers It is a complete 360 design. As customers, we don't see an enormous amount of the design and thinking that goes into these places and spaces. And we realized this is something that healthcare needs to learn about. Yeah, we've all had experiences at at, uh, hospitals, medical practices, you know, the regular doctor's office. And I just keep thinking about what you're talking about. You're talking about something called experience management. And first of all, if you could just define that for our audience, tell us a little bit about what you mean by experience management. And then let's talk about that in the healthcare setting. Sure. So experience management looks at every touch point and every point on the path of a user's journey. And I use the word user really carefully. Because it's more than just the guest or the staffer in the case of a museum, for instance. It's everybody who's involved in that space. And it's more than just the patient and the clinician in the case of a healthcare setting. It's the patient. It's the family or the caregivers, the community that surround them. It's the staff and it's the clinician. Experience management looks at all of the places, processes, and platforms that those people move through and all of those touch points. As an example, there's a hospital near here. I had a friend who was sick. I went to visit her. When you park in the parking lot, the exit for pedestrians out of that parking lot puts you in the ambulance bay and you don't know where to go. It's a horrible experience. And so you're already frustrated. You're already frazzled. You're already worried. You're already emotional. And now you're deeply, deeply confused. Experience design looks at every moment on the journey from when you are thinking about going and engaging with something to making that decision to what it's like to get there, to park, to go through security, what the actual meat of the experience is like and what the follow-up is is like as well. What's the phone call like? Is there an email? Is there a flyer? What oh, it happens is? Okay. afterwards? Okay. How does the relationship continue? Experience management looks at that entire journey that entire arc 
So give us an example then of experience management and how that can translate to a healthcare setting. Where are the pain points and where are some of the improvements that need to be made? I'm gonna use an example actually again from Disney. Uh, They're the 900 pound gorilla and and people are familiar with them. Um, Healthcare and themed entertainment or theme parks or waiting to get into a super popular exhibit at a museum, they, they all have something in common and that's the dreaded wait time. And if you think about the waiting rooms in doctor's offices across the country, they're kind of hot swappable. They, none of them are super great to hang out in really. Um, and they're all sort of familiar and they have that same color scheme. And you would think that this is something that can't be fixed really when it comes to theme parks. If, you know, rides have a specific capacity, doctor's offices and hospitals have a specific capacity. The Dumbo ride at, uh, Disney's Magic Kingdom is obviously super popular with little kids and little kids are notoriously bad at waiting in lines. And it's it's great for making kids melt down and that means a non-optimal experience for families. And so Disney realized, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. Let's look at other industries or let's look at related verticals and how they deal with the wait time. And what they did was something remarkably simple. They built an indoor play space that's air conditioned and that's themed to Dumbo. It's themed on the circus with benches for parents to sit on and they give you a restaurant buzzer now. So when it's your family's turn coming up on Dumbo, you can gather the kids up out of the air conditioned space and go get online for a much shorter time. You can imagine in the medical building of tomorrow, there being a central space that has a reading nook and a cafe and all kinds of other offerings, maybe drop in yoga or 15 minute massages and you come for your appointment. And instead of sitting there in the lobby, reading the same years old magazines in the same uncomfortable chairs, you get a buzzer and you get to go off and do something much more pleasant, drop in on a class, what have you, until it's your turn to be seen. And then you go and you go to the office. By looking at how other industries handle these just super familiar pain points, waiting, messaging, follow-up, things like that, um, we can apply the lessons from experience design in other verticals to healthcare and make the process less painful. If we make the process less painful, patients are more compliant. They're more likely to seek care. They're more likely to follow up on clinician instructions. The research is really robust that as patient experience improves, compliance improves, and then we see better health outcomes. And ultimately, it's not that we want to turn every hospital into a theme park. It's that we want people to be healthier. Right. Let's let's return to some of the designs you have been involved in where you identified pain points and made improvements upon them. I know you use the restaurant buzzer as one example, but what are some of the other cases? Because what I'm really thinking about is you said something that I made a note here. You talked about wait times and it doesn't matter if we're waiting on a meal or a doctor or anything else. We are an impatient species we we don't like to wait and i don't know that we've ever less liked to wait than we do right now so what do we do to get around that um give us some additional examples of how you've addressed that in some of the other designs so 
I'm actually going to talk you through an example, which is at, on the surface, it's not about waiting, but it is about that same sort of impatience that we as humans have. We don't like that perception of our time being wasted, whether that's waiting or having to do the same thing over and over again, pointlessly. Um, they hit sort of the same emotional button. Um, and we work, as you noted, Google is one of our big clients. And I mentioned earlier that uh, we talk about users because it's not just about the guest or the patient, it is about everybody who's in the system. When we first started working with Google, uh, they brought us in to do an assessment of an existing uh, customer education experience that they had for YouTube. And we went down and we did a bunch of observations. And one of the things that leapt out to us was their team was having to reinvent the wheel every day. Uh, they, in terms of the number of clients they could have come into this center, weren't able to program it for the full week because their staff had to spend so much time making the presentations and developing the structure for the day for the client. It was bespoke each and every time. They were having to pull new visual reference. They were having to pull video reference, even though many of the clients, they could use the same visual. They were often deploying the same visual reference. They were the same case studies, what have you. And so we, we sat Google down, and I promise you this was a little bit awkward, but we sat Google down and said, hey, let's talk to you about your digital content management system. Let's talk to you about what we can automate for you in this system, not so that you don't need as many staff, but so that your staff is more efficient, they're not wasting their time, they're not waiting on their fellow staffers to provide them this information, they are able to use their time more efficiently. And in doing so, they're able to make a better experience for your clients. And so what started out as a, hey, what can we do that will make this physical space more pleasant and more effective for our clients? We wound up doing a lot of under the hood work. And this speaks to how experience management is not just about the pretty and the shiny but we wound up doing a lot of under the hood work to make that whole ecosystem work better and not force the Google team to wait and waste as much time as they otherwise were. Their efficiency skyrocketed. They were able to book a lot more clients into that space. And that obviously has an effect on the bottom line. When it comes to museum experiences or theme parks, we like to come up with ways where the cues or the lines to get into or onto something aren't painful, whether that's by incorporating elements into that line that are engaging and interactive or simply pleasant spaces to be in. You know, sometimes there is an element of interior design to this um, to help make it a better physical space to be in. But it's also sometimes like what Walt Disney World did with Dumbo where it's let's reinvent what the queue experience is like entirely. Let's make it something completely different. Yeah, you mentioned Google, and sometimes I feel like Google knows me better than I know myself. They <laughs> they have an ability to track, you know, what I've what I've tracked in the past, and then the ads pop up no matter where I go, that sort of thing. But 
what we're getting at here is behavior. And exactly. you mentioned behavior earlier, and I'm fascinated about that because I'll give you an example. You were talking about wait times and how our brains work. And I'll put in the Google Maps or one of the other maps that'll get me to work or get me somewhere. And I'll see that it might actually take me longer to go one route, but I can see that there are no red areas, meaning it's gonna stop me in traffic. And I'll sometimes take the longer route just so I continue to drive faster. It makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something and not being stuck. So I wanted to talk to you about behavior then. You, you mentioned that, tell us about that. What have you learned through design that informs us more about human behavior? So a lot of the thinking that we bring to our projects is rooted in hardcore learning theory. And depending upon the specific project, we're gonna approach it differently. If it's you know, a pediatric center, then one of our major user groups, they're kids uh, and teenagers and tweens. And we're going to have to take into account how those groups behave, what their motivations are, what their cognitive level is, what their emotional level is. If we're talking about a more adult only space, then it's a little different than we're rooted more thoroughly in adult behavioral theory and adult learning theory. But one of the best, best tools that we bring, no matter how serious the situation is that the data is really robust, that people learn by doing, they learn through play. And I don't mean play as in, you know, hoop hoo fun time, but they learn by being able to engage and engross in something and sort of work through it. Um, and that shapes pretty heavily how we frame even the most challenging of subject materials. We tend not to think in the healthcare setting about people engaging physically with information, um, with content. We speak it at them in the exam room. There are incredibly overwhelming posters with a ton of information and jargon on them in the exam room but we don't necessarily think about spaces or materials in those rooms that allow people to physically chew through some pretty heavy stuff. And that's an ethos and a theory that we bring to it as well. Yeah, it, <laughs> we've all had these experiences. We sit in a doctor's office and it can be, as you mentioned, the magazines that are five years old or when you go sit in the examining room and it can be a pretty cold, sterile environment. and. I'm just wondering, are there ways that you have developed design that can uh, help people uh, both with wellness and, uh, I don't know, engage them in a way that perhaps hasn't been done in the past? Absolutely. So there's obviously tons of research out there on color theory and how people respond to certain colors, uh, the use of color in spaces for those um, with cognitive differences, um, don't use red in spaces for, that are intended for children who have autism kind of thing. Um, but there's also a wealth of information on there, out there about how design and making people comfortable and receptive to information via design helps them 
absorb and retain, retain information better. Um, you can see some of this applied in school design in Nordic countries in particular. If you look at how new schools are designed in Denmark and Finland and Norway and Sweden, it's really different than how schools are designed in the US. The materials choices are different. The shapes are different. The colors are different. The kinds of spaces and how they interact with each other and the kinds of communication that they support are different. We bring the same type of thinking to spaces which are highly educational. And in a way, healthcare, obviously, it's got a thousand and one complications in terms of patient health and safety and biohazard and the types of furnishings that you need and equipment and all of that. Obviously, you know, set that all aside for a moment. But there are ways that you can design a space so that people are better prepared to hear challenging. And I don't mean challenging like the news is bad. I mean challenging as in they don't have an MD. <laughs> They're not necessarily fully informed and up to speed on what's going on. And as a clinician or staffer, you need to bring them up to speed really quick. There are ways that you can design to make people more receptive to information and able to retain it. We use it when we're doing museum design, particularly when it's museum design around heavy duty science content. We use every sense possible. One thing that we tend not to hear um, in the healthcare setting is anything other than the sound of the equipment and the TVs in the room. And yet we know that audio, whether it's music or a really carefully crafted background music BGM track, which is derived from content, more on that in a moment, can help understanding. It can help people be more receptive to content. And when, when I talk about BGM that's derived from content, as an example, if you're doing an exhibit that's about a specific uh, environment, for instance, in the state of Georgia, then have the correct bird species chirping in the background music. Um, have the correct, have the wind blowing through the correct kind of plants and trees uh, as part of that soundtrack. And people will notice and they realize that they're in different spaces as they're moving through the exhibit. It helps with understanding, it helps with learning. When we look at the healthcare setting, we know that music can help calm people down and yet we tend not to play it a whole lot. Um, we know that there are uh, styles of music which can help people automatically regulate their breathing, for instance. And we tend not to use that in the healthcare setting and we could. Um, so we really consider every element of an environment. It's not just the color of the wipeable fabric on the chairs in the room and the color of wall covering. Um, it's everything. It's the sound. It's the physicality of it. It's um, what you can do in terms of the smell. Knowing full well that cleaning is a thing and sanitizing those rooms is really, really important that also tends to conjure a fairly strong sense memory in people and what can we do about that so we consider it all right it's interesting that you talk about music i i know that my dentist he plays a country music station so i'm sitting here getting distracted it's like you know all my exes live in texas or something like that and it's distracting me but i don't know if it's really helping me as i'm dealing with uh, this drill going into my tooth so what is, is there an ideal music that, um, you know, you suggest in these medical or healthcare settings? 
We don't because it's really highly personalized. Um, we suggest having uh, wherever possible choice for the patients um, because if somebody is forced to listen to a style of music that they do not enjoy or do not find pleasant, guess what? That's not going to help them relax. Exactly. Um, I, for one, if I was forced to listen to country music right. while I was having dental work done, it would not have the intended effect. Um, but oddly, if I were allowed to listen to Rage Against the Machine or the theme track from Pacific Rim, I would be a happy camper. Um, technology has made it such that it's actually really easy to personalize and customize spaces. Um, and we can use that in a variety of ways. If you know that you are putting a patient into a room and you're gonna have to give them some pretty hard news, it is very simple to, from your central system, set the light level at a certain level, set the audio at a certain level, Make sure if you're on the first floor of a medical office building that the blinds are drawn and folks in the parking lot are not going to have a view to that person crying. You know, it's really easy to manage the room set from the staff side of things. But it's also really easy to say, hey, here's the tablet. You can control what music's in here. You can control the light level um, and allow the patient to take charge. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up technology. Uh, we know it is dominant in our in our lives now. So what role does technology play in healthcare design? So I am a big proponent of technology being a tool and not the thing. Um, it is a way that people can engage with the world. And it is a way that um, across age demographics, people are increasingly comfortable getting information via, you know, via technology. But technology is not the end all and be all. We know particularly from museum studies that the value of the real, the value of real engagement with a real person has a longer lasting impact on knowledge retention than engaging with an iPad. Um, that if you talk to somebody about something in a museum, that if you talk to a facilitator or an educator or a tour guide or what have you, you're going to remember that better. It's going to have a longer impact on you. It's going to affect your opinion of that museum more. And you're going to remember that content, even if it's really hard and challenging content, you're going to remember that content better than if you just engage briefly with an iPad-based interactive kind of thing. So I very much view technology as a tool within the healthcare setting. It can be used, like I said, to help with managing the experience, to make wait times shorter, to make rooms uh, better suited towards the needs of the staff clinician and the patient and their family. Um, it can be used to provide a safe space in which to allow patients to explore what is it going to be like to get surgery? You know, some of the VR and AR that's out there and helping people understand what's going on with them. It's sort of the advanced version of the, we're going to show you on a teddy bear what's going to happen when you go in for surgery at child life. Um, there are ways that technology can be used um, to help alleviate concerns and fears. We can use it to um, clad otherwise scary medical experiences in being on the equivalent of the Star Trek holodeck um, so that you're not as terrified of being in the big clunky machine as you otherwise might be. 
Um, but it's never, it's never the end thing. Um, technology will never take the place of really, really, really well-trained, compassionate staff and clinicians and human-centered design in dealing with staff, clinicians, patients, and families and caregivers. Yeah, it, it's clear there are a lot of benefits to adopting these, you know, quote, experience management strategies, but there have to be some challenges. I mean, what is it? Is it, when you talk to people in healthcare, is it the cost? Is it the fear of the unknown? I mean, what are the challenges to getting this, you know, put in place? So there's, <laughs> there are a couple of them. First and foremost, honestly, it's, it's siloing. Um, coming from academia, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it is, it's something that I get to explain to my Thinkwell colleagues on more than one occasion. But the, the siloing between disciplines, the siloing between departments can be really challenging. And it's all the more frustrating because things don't happen in isolation in medicine. Um, so the fact that there is this tension between verticals within healthcare is really challenging to overcome. Um, there's also a lot of pressure on showing results fast. And it can take a long time to implement this kind of change on a holistic level and to start getting the kind of data that you need. Um, it's, it's longitudinal in, in, in sort of how long it can take to really see what's the long-term effect on the relationship with, build with patients, with how well they're following instructions, with what their outcomes are, that kind of thing. You just need time to get that data. Um, and there is a certain level of theme parks. Sure. It's like, no, we're not, we're not talking about putting rides in your waiting room. We're not talking about making everything filled with princesses and talking animals. Um, helping people understand that 75% of what you experience at a theme park or a museum, you never see the work that goes into it. You never see the planning that goes into what do we do if things go wrong? In healthcare, things go wrong. Somebody has lab results that you weren't expecting and the course that you thought they were going to go down takes a wildly divergent turn. The cancer patient blows a heart attack when they're in your office for their regular checkup. Happened to my dad. Um, in theme parks, rides break, lines get huge, people get angry. Uh, hurricanes hit, tornadoes hit, museum world, we had a really horrible storm in Chicago once. I happened to live across the street and I got the terrified phone call of get over here because literally three stories worth of rainwater were cascading down the stairs and into the collections department of the museum. Stuff goes wrong. Um, and experience management considers not just the, what's the optimal path when everything works right, but also the, what are the likely paths of failure and how do you mitigate them? And that's a really hard concept sometimes to get across um, that you can actually design for failure. Cynthia Sharp, Principal of Cultural Attractions and Research for the ThinkWell Group. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight talking with you and I'm really looking forward to the conference. 
Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Stericycle for sponsoring today's show. And also thanks to our guest, Cynthia Sharp. Cynthia can be heard speaking at MGMA's annual conference, October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. Did you miss early bird registration? Don't worry, we have you covered. Use the code POD200 while registering and save $200. Visit mgma.com slash bigeasy19 for more information and to register for the conference. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Craig Weberg, Rob Ketchum, Declan McGee, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.